are entering the Freedom Hut. A political hit on Supreme Court nominee Kavanaugh that could derail the entire process. Will Republicans show some backbone and stand up to all of these Democrat machinations? We'll discuss that and also the latest on the page-struck DOJ-FBI collusion racket. We've got some text messages to tell us just what's going on there. That and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I don't know. It depends on the process. I'd like to see a complete process. I'd like everybody to uh, be very happy. Most importantly, I want the American people to be happy because they're getting somebody that is great. I want him to go in at the absolute highest level. And I think to do that, you have to go through this. If it takes a little delay, it'll take a little delay. Uh, It shouldn't certainly be very much. But again, this is something that should have been brought up long before this. They had the information in July, as I understand it. That's a long time ago, and nobody mentioned it until the other day. Uh, It's very, you know, it's very unfortunate that they didn't mention it sooner. But with all of that being said, uh, it will, I'm sure, work out very well. You're talking about a an individual who is as high a quality individual as you'll ever see. Are you I have not spoken to uh, Judge Kavanaugh. Do you no. know he's no. offered to withdraw from the process? Has he offered to withdraw? Uh, next question. What a ridiculous question. <laughs> Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. You know, they, they held it until the 11th hour. They had a dirty trick up their sleeve, and they've, they've deployed it against Kavanaugh. Um, that is yet, yet another reminder of what we're dealing with here, folks. The... Truth of the matter is as follows. They pretend that they don't like Trump because he breaks norms. They, they pretend that, that Trump is too coarse, that he's a vulgarian, that he's dishonest, that he lies, and that's why they don't like him. That's why they're so vicious toward him. But the truth is that the Democrats are just as vicious to anybody who gets in their way. The truth is that the left has a will to power, and if you get in the way of that, you will find yourself the victim of the nastiest smears, character assassination, criminal investigation, perhaps. We've seen the abuse in DOJ. We've seen the abuse in FBI. We know how they do things. And that is certainly what is going on right now with Kavanaugh. I can tell you that my opinion on this will change if there is new information. I do not believe his accuser, uh, Professor Ford. I do not believe that she is telling the truth. Um, I'm allowed to not believe that she is not telling the truth, despite what everybody says, based on all of the factors at hand here, based on everything that you can pull together about this and just the unbelievable convenience of this whole thing for Democrats. I mean, wow, what a what a surprise. They 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 just so happened to find somebody 
to try to pull a an Anita Hill against a Clarence Thomas, so to speak here. They just so happen to find somebody with a, a sexual uh, allegation against somebody who was just about to become a Supreme Court justice. Um, and, you know, this is the this is the playbook. This is what they do. This is how they do it. And if Christine Blase or Blasey Ford's accusation is enough to ruin Kavanaugh, it's enough to ruin anyone. If Kavanaugh could fall victim to this, any of us could fall victim to this. Okay, it means that the the new standard, the new process is all it takes is an accusation from Democrats of sexual impropriety in your past and you're done and you're ruined. And I'm sorry, but it's just not it's just not fair. It's not right. And it's not enough. But just and also remember this. This is why I don't want to hear their complaints about Trump anymore. I don't care about Trump's, you know, previous dalliances. I don't care that he's a playboy. I don't care that he, you know, uses coarse language or that he can be, you know, selfish or whatever else. Trump is the political juggernaut that we need right now to crush the leftist machinery that destroys all of the very you know, thoughtful and principled and kind and ethical people that we try to put forward in public service. You know, we, we've tried Romney. We've tried Rubio. We've tried Bush. They just smash these people. They can't smash Trump. Say what you will about him. They can't smash him. And as long as he's going to push for policies that I like and he can withstand this stuff that they try, and they've tried everything, by the way. They've tried to Kavanaugh Trump 10 times over and then some. But it is, in fact, his invulnerability to leftist attack that, in many ways, above and beyond anything else, makes Trump so valuable at this moment in our politics. So if we can take one silver lining from this whole debacle right now with Kavanaugh, it's that at least we are reminded that putting forward somebody who's a Boy Scout to try to fight against the Democrat machine in politics is a fool's errand, and we're not going to play that game anymore. Now, I also have some breaking news for you. The President of the United States has ordered the immediate declassification of uh, a whole bunch of stuff, including portions of Carter Page's FISA, all FBI 302s with Bruce Orr, all FBI reports of interviews prepared in connection with all Carter Page FISA applications, and the release of some FBI texts, including, I believe, James Comey's text messages. Without redaction. Now, I do not yet have the ability. You know, I'm on air with you. I'm going to be reading this all tonight. Uh, So I can't tell you the specifics because it just happened while I'm on air here. They just, yeah, they released Comey's too. They just released all of this information. So I'm going to be combing through this as best I can as we're on air and as I will. We'll certainly dive deep into it tomorrow, but this is huge, folks. This is huge. The immediate declassification. POTUS did it. He did it. I've been asking him to do it for months. You've been waiting for him to do it for months. Now, the FBI and the DOJ got nowhere to hide, folks. Nowhere to hide. And you know what? God, this president's amazing. He, he sees he sees what they did this week. He knows what they've done to, what they've done to Kavanaugh, and he says, "You know what? If you're gonna if you're gonna show up 
and you're going to try to go nuclear, I'm going to go nuclear too. If you if you think you can be tough, I can be tougher. You want to play this game? You want to you want to skewer a good man like Kavanaugh? You want to ruin his reputation? Yeah? How are you going to look mainstream media and Democrat lackeys when all this information about Carter Page, about Comey, about Strzok, about all of them, all this Russia collusion garbage is finally left out in the sun for everyone to see and left out for everyone to see it rot because it is a mountain of lies. And it's all about politics, just like Kavanaugh. So I'm, I'm going to be diving into this. But POTUS has ordered the declassification, folks. That is the breaking news that I've got for you as we are here on the show. You're no stranger to uh, character assassination tactics and a very hostile uh, political climate and environment. These allegations about Judge Kavanaugh just came out over the weekend. Uh, Do you find them credible and do you think this is a political hit? I don't know how to say anything about Brett Kavanaugh other than I love this person. I've known him since 1994. I worked alongside him. This is so wildly out of character. And I love that that so many young women who had gone to high school with Brett, with Judge Kavanaugh, came forward and attested to his character. So I do not, I trust Brett Kavanaugh. And he has emphatically denied the charges. Uh, I will say this, the process, I think, is very unfortunate for the, the senator, for Senator Feinstein, to sit on these rather old allegations week after week after week, as well as Brett having gone through six full FBI investigations, I think there's a real serious process problem here. Which is a nice way of Ken Starr saying he thinks this is bogus. He thinks this is bogus, and he was a special prosecutor. And, of course, the, the left completely vilified him. Now anybody who even has a word of criticism for Mueller, is treated like some kind of, of, of traitor to our institutions. But when it was Clinton being investigated, oh my gosh, Ken Starr was, was, was Torquemada. Ken Starr was, was, was this evil, puritanical, vile fellow, right? I can tell you, actually, Ken Starr was very, very uh, engaging and very interesting fellow today when I got to interview him. That was from Rising. We played that clip for you there. Uh, but... You know, this is where you start to look at the, okay, who do you believe? We're going to play the who do you believe game. You have Kavanaugh, who had so many women come to write about his character and his his sterling reputation and how well he treated them, that you had all these media people running around with a false conspiracy that this must have been planned beforehand, right? You get 65 women all gathered together to say this is not the Kavanaugh that they knew and, and that he was so good to them. And so what what was the response what was the response beyond that? Uh, they said, oh, well, clearly this must have been some kind of a plot. You know, it, it's just not possible that this many women would come together this quickly unless they had planned. Oh, nope. Turns out they just did. They just did. Um, this is a man who is already, folks, on the D.C. Court of Appeals, has had six FBI investigations. Okay, six None of this has ever come up. No problem. People talk about his drinking. I mean, I got to tell you, I really resent this thing about Kavanaugh and his buddy, Mark Judge. People talk about how they used to drink beer. You know, when I was a teenager, I drank a lot, too. OK, I mean, you know, we all will go through a little phase. And you know, so I just don't like that that's being used against them. Like, well, you know, they drank a lot of beer. Yeah, there's a huge difference between drinking a lot of beer and a, a premeditated 
multiple person attempted sexual assault, right? I mean, a lot of us drink a lot of beer. Not a lot of us are sex predators. But I just don't, they're, they're trying to link those two things. Like, well, he partied a lot, you know, you know, kegs, big keg Kavanaugh or whatever. It's disgraceful. But now we look at uh, this, this woman, uh, Professor Ford. And what we find is somebody who, if we were to try to draw up a caricature of who would be willing to step forward and be this person, be the Anita Hill of this whole proceeding who tries to take down Kavanaugh, tries to sink his nomination, prevent him from becoming a Supreme Court judge. I mean, to have a a Democrat registered and has donated, you know, not a lot of money, but donated Democrats, a Democrat professor of psychology and I think sociology or something at a, a kind of, you know, middle of the pack California UC school. So you got a, Calif- a liberal California professor who is clearly anti-Trump. Uh, her online presence shows that she opposes uh, Trump policies. She does not like the president. She's obviously a huge progressive. People are saying she's also an activist. When you add all that together, you have the person that, if I were to guess, I would say, well, yeah, this is who this is who might be willing to... to uh, step forward and fabricate something. Because that's what Kavanaugh is saying. Very important. Kavanaugh is not saying this was a misunderstanding. Kavanaugh's statement that came out today is not claiming that there was some, you know, mishap or mix-up and, he, you know, he didn't mean it and maybe he grabbed her, but he thought he was he was just drunk and didn't realize what was going on, but he didn't have any ill intent or anything like this. Uh, Kavanaugh is saying that she's a fabricator. I mean, she's a liar. She is making this up. Uh, so that's a big charge, right? This is a, a major, uh, a major departure from a, a, you know, he said, she said where there could be some, you know, mixed signals or there should be, could be some misunderstanding or anything. No, no, no. He's just saying this is a, this is a straight up lie. Uh, this is not something that has occurred. And by the way, that does happen, folks. Okay. I would remind you all that the UVA lacrosse uh, case, I'm sorry, the uh, UVA fraternity, I was thinking of Duke lacrosse, UVA fraternity, those are both high-profile rape cases where the uh, the victim lied about being raped, lied about everything. In the case of UVA, it was even lied about the whole, you know, was a straight-up fabrication. In the case of Duke, it was, made up things, but there was actual contact between the people at a location. This does happen. Uh, we, we have cases where it has happened. And and if I can just put this... Now, look, I, I can't tell you definitively. If, if more information comes out, you know, five more women who have credible stories come forward, or, you know, one more woman even comes forward and says, you know, Kavanaugh did something similar to me, or there's... A, that's what we see in these other cases that people say fall into this Me Too uh, this Me Too rhetoric or this Me Too movement. Um, that's, you know, I, I understand that. But we also have to remember, folks, that the stakes here for a lot of liberals are essentially existential for liberalism in their mind. Not only could they lose their preferred method of winning national policy victories, which is to have the Supreme Court handed to them, they might have to live in a world where a, a Supreme Court will tell them, you know what, this this policy that you've claimed is a is a inalienable right, 
this policy of abortion. Uh, it is, in fact, not in the Constitution, which, of course, it is not. It is not a constitutionally protected right, which, of course, it is not. And now, state by state, you're going to have to make the case that, you know, murder for convenience is a good thing. Okay. You know, that's a very different world than it's a constitutional right. You, know, you won't be talking about abortion rights quite the same way when some states say, no, actually, there's, there's no right to an abortion. And this was complete. This was a talk about a fabrication. Uh, but I, I remember having Bob Bland of the Women's March sit on my show, and some of you who watched that episode of Rising will remember it. She said that millions of women's lives are at stake here. Millions of women's lives are at stake if Kavanaugh gets, and they're gonna they're gonna die if Kavanaugh becomes a Supreme Court justice because of all the women that are gonna die from botched abortions. That that's the storyline. To that, I just want to say this. Yes, that's insane, folks. But you have to you have to listen to insane people when they tell you why they do what they do, or people that have a disconnect from reality. How do they see things? If people in the women's march, if the women's you know movement and all this other stuff around, not just you know Trump, but the progressive left in general, if they really believe that millions of lives were at stake, what are they not willing to do? Forget about what they're willing to do. Where do they draw the lines? What would you be willing to do if you thought you could save millions of lives? Is making an unfounded allegation to ruin a man's career and reputation, is that within the bounds of what you do? Save millions of lives? If you really thought you were saving millions of lives, what do you think? It would be worth consideration, wouldn't it? It would be dishonorable. Would you justify it in your own mind? We'll be right back. And explain the situation any better than the senior senator from Maine put it yesterday evening when she said, if they believed Judge Kavanaugh's accuser, why didn't they surface this information earlier so that he could be questioned about it? And if they didn't believe her and chose to withhold the information, why did they decide at the 11th hour to release it? It's really not fair to either of them the way it was handled. It's not fair, but it's not about fair, is it, folks? It's about politics. They held this because this was all a strategy. This was all planned. I do not believe for one second that, oh, she she didn't want people to know. She didn't want people to, to find out about this. She called the tip line at the Washington Post. She was trying to sink Kavanaugh. I mean, maybe she didn't want her name attached to it originally, but then she changed her mind. How many people do you think, uh, how many people would, if they really didn't want to come forward, if they really didn't want their name to be attached to something, would take the step of having a polygraph done preemptively just in case, you know, in the future it was decided that maybe they would need to, yeah, maybe maybe they would need that that backup to have a polygraph done. That's, that's a big step, right? That's something that you don't just have waiting on the side in case you need it. But in this situation, uh, they they did claim that. Uh, in this situation, we're supposed to believe that. And that the timeline speaks for itself. Folks, the, the hearings were all about delay. Delay, delay, delay. That's what Democrats are trying to do. The hearings were all about Democrats finding a way to push this beyond the election so that they'd have a chance of taking the Senate and then they could stop this whole thing from happening 
And, you know, the Trump would have to essentially they would demand Merrick Garland or else there would be no, you know, we'd have to wait another two years for another election. I mean, I, I think that's what the Senate would uh, would probably go for. You know, they they believe that this is Merrick Garland's seat and they're going to they're going to get him in that seat. But the timeline was is essential and it tells you everything you need to know. They wanted delay. And now at the 11th hour, it is not an accident that they have a perfect excuse for delay. And we they really want us to believe that this just happened this way. I mean, how stupid do they think we are? And you have all these people, these credulous talking heads in the media and, and, and of course, these very dishonest Democrats in Congress are saying, oh, no, you know, this is just this is just the way that it happened. You know, we had no she didn't even she didn't even want to come forward. Somebody leaked it. Oh, somebody leaked it, huh? Just just somebody. I can tell you this. If I told a member of the Senate, hey, I've got a story. Don't tell anybody. Either. And, 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 you know, and I wanted to keep that quiet. Well, either I leaked it to somebody or the senator leaked it to somebody. But regardless, somebody involved here made a decision, either Feinstein or Ford, to spill the beans. Somebody did it. And the motivation was explicitly political. The motivation was to try and delay the hearing and hope that the Senate can actually get through this nominee. And folks, I, I've... I just have I have no patience with these lies anymore. And I really have no patience with Democrats. I, I think that they there is zero good faith ever extended from them on any of this stuff. Um, but the, the timeline speaks for itself. It's all so transparent and so obvious to me that this is what's going on here. And yet we're going to have to go through what will be a really, really ugly week. Uh, it's going to be like Bork. It's going to be like Clarence Clarence Thomas all over again. Actually, here, we've got a Clarence Thomas uh, clip. Play 21. This is a circus. It's a national disgrace. And from my standpoint, as a black American, as far as I'm concerned, it is a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves, to do for themselves, to have different ideas, and it is a message that unless you kowtow to an old order, this is what will happen to you. You will be lynched, destroyed, caricatured by a committee of the U.S. U.S. Senate rather than hung from a tree. Clarence Thomas treated terribly in these. By the way, they should get rid of these show trials. They really should. They should just get rid of it. If you have the votes in the Senate, just do it. No, no, no more of this grandstanding. We don't need this. Because, you know, how, folks, think of it this way. How many Democrat nominees to the Supreme Court can you think of that were dragged through the mud, that were treated terribly, and that had to withdraw because of just the horrific ordeal they were put through? This is what Democrats do. This is who they are. This is people who have that mindset that have a left-wing ideology they think that it's anything goes to get power the ends justify the means conservative mind is much more okay well you know i guess we got to live within the system we've got and let's see what we can do here and you know they they have the votes and this is they're the ones always lecturing us on respect for institutions and they disrespect institutions at every opportunity every chance that they get um 
that's something that I, I think is is yet again a, a defining characteristic of of the left is that they like they like institutions where they control them and they'll burn them into the ground when they don't. And the Supreme Court and the whole process of getting a nominee through is no different. It really is is no different. Um, and you know, then you've of course got the legal analysis industrial complex out there trying to tie all of this to Thomas and and Anita Hale and all that. Play clip twenty. This is CNN's Tubin, one of the worst analysts out there. He was the supervisor at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Anita Hill worked for him. Uh, and there was a pattern of harassment that yes, she Yes, I think that that's the point. There was a No, no, and, and yeah. um, she was treated miserably by the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, and, you know, in the 27 years that have followed, every single piece of evidence that has come forward has suggested that she was telling the truth and he was lying. That's not true. He's lying. But also, she wasn't treated miserably. She was trying to ruin a man's reputation and prevent him from reaching the pinnacle of his career uh, and doing so for partisan reasons. And oh, by the way, remember this, folks. She didn't pay some terrible cost. They've made her a hero. She has an HBO movie about her where Kerry Washington plays her, and it couldn't be any more favorable to her, okay? They made her a hero. Don't believe this false martyr crap. I believe Professor Ford. I think she's credible. And I think when the investigation is finished and when she testifies and Judge Kavanaugh testifies, I think a majority of senators will find her credible. And I don't think I didn't ever thought Kavanaugh should get get appointed because he was picked by a president who said, I'm only going to pick someone who repeals Roe v. Wade and vetted by a group whose mission was that. The president said, I'm only going to pick someone who repeals health care. And he was vetted by another group, the Heritage Foundation. Uh-huh. So I said he shouldn't be on the bench before this. But now we got to get to the bottom of this. Do you believe her story? Well, I could tell you it, it really does have a ring of truth to it. The fact that she can refer to therapist notes uh, so that she did bring it up before. Uh, I am skeptical of polygraphs, but for those who believe them, uh, she has passed a polygraph test. So I'd say at this point, the fact that she would come forward to defend herself adds credibility to her charge. Schumer, Durbin, these people are all scummy, dishonest, and they're being highly dishonorable in this whole situation with, with Kavanaugh. Uh, let, let me just break this down for a moment. The, the notion that there's a ring of truth to it. A ring of truth to this uh, uh, this woman, Professor Ford's allegations. Uh, I would I would beg to differ with that. It is plausible. It is certainly plausible that this happened. I cannot guarantee anybody based on the facts that it did not happen. But to say that it has a ring of truth leaves out some very important important facts. First of all, that Kavanaugh completely and utterly denies it. Uh, not in part. Not. On the facts, uh, you know, in specifics, not little bits here and there, or this was a misunderstanding. Kavanaugh completely and utterly denies it. And based on everything else we know about his character and background, I think that that has weight, just like it would in a court of law, folks. You know, is this person a credible witness or not? Uh, This is absolutely a who do you believe situation. There is no way to definitively prove either way what happened, which is why the Democrats have gone with this as a ploy to take down Kavanaugh because it cannot, he cannot be proven innocent. But this notion there's a ring of truth. And I wrote about this today on 
thehill.com, in which I said that the Kavanaugh nomination absolutely must go through. Uh, the Republicans cannot show cowardice or weakness here. It's not just this seat on the Supreme Court that's at stake. It's countless other uh, decent public servants that Democrats don't like, that Democrats feel would thwart their left-wing statist agenda and that they would use this same tactic. You know, if it works on Kavanaugh, it's going to work on anybody. Remember what they did to Mitt Romney, folks. Mitt Romney, they said, was a person who was giving people cancer, who was abusing dogs, who was uh, a bully in high school. All this just just made, they, they found some little story of some kind that somebody would say, and then they just ran with all the rest of it. They just made stuff up. And yet, they're doing it now in an even worse fashion to Kavanaugh. But for the ring of truth statement that Durbin made here, why is it that Ford does not remember what day this happened, what month this even happened, or where it happened? I'm sorry, folks. I have been very, very drunk a number of times in my youth. Just saying. Uh, I've been so drunk that I probably was, you know, putting my imminent or immediate health at risk. But I have been there before. I have never not known at all where I was. And by the way, we don't even know if Ford was drunk. I mean, it seems stands likely uh, or reason to believe that perhaps she had had a few drinks. That doesn't matter, in, except insofar as was that what affected her memory? But she claims to not know where it happened. I'm sorry if you had an incident that was so traumatic that you feel the need to speak out about it 30 plus years later. Um, and and nothing. Remember, she she was not uh, she, she, by by her own admission. I mean, she she was not physically harmed. She was threatened. She says she was put in a position where she was very scared. But if you were that scared, you wouldn't remember where that happened. You wouldn't tell your parents about it really you'd keep this you would keep this to yourself for that many years was there was there supposed to be what because she was ashamed nothing really when i say nothing happened to her i mean there was no actual physical sexual assault that by her own description that that occurred i mean it was really it was an attempted i guess she says well no i'm sorry she says she was groped pardon me she says she was groped okay she was groped. She wouldn't. She wouldn't tell somebody uh, about this. That there wouldn't be. I mean, if we're gonna. And by the way, I would also note groped. This would, if this were in a court of law, this would be adjudicated. Groped where? They they grab her arm. I mean, I know they said they put her. Was she grabbing the chest or in her in her in her you know general area? I mean, where was she grabbed? That makes a big difference. They say she was groped. That's a very specific allegation, too. She remembers that. She remembers the boys. She remembers all the things she would need to be able to try and sink Kavanaugh, but she doesn't have those details. Those are questions that people should want answers to. And I'm sorry, this notion of the ring of truth, I do not believe that it is likely, I won't say impossible, that it is likely that given the situation that she has described, she can't remember where it happened. How many houses did she go party and were this kind of, you know, really? You don't know where it Now, I would say to you, once you put time and location into the situation, then you could, in fact, disprove an allegation. Once you have a situation where we know what the date range is or what the date is specifically, 
Now you could have Kavanaugh perhaps being able to show, you know, I was traveling with my family overseas or, or whatever, or I was in another town. But because there's no date attached to any of this, it's just, well, this thing happened at a party and I remember it was him and I knew him from our social circle. So you have to believe me because I have a right to be believed. I, I, I do not think that has the ring of that. This has the ring of truth, but Durbin wants to believe it because the Democrats want to believe it, because at the end of the day, this is about being able to kill babies at will. That's what this is really about, folks. That's re- this is not really about me, too. This is not really about sexual assault. The Democrats had a president who was a rapist for two for, for two terms. Didn't really bother them at all. Still doesn't bother them this day. A rapist, not an attempted rapist, but somebody who actually was credibly accused on the record by a woman of rape and has never really denied it. And other women also claim that he sexually assaulted them. So for them, this is not at its core about any of that. This is about the possibility of Roe v. Wade getting overturned. Uh, And this is about an entire Democrat left apparatus that is devoted to abortion on demand all nine months of a pregnancy for any reason or no reason. And what it would mean to the Democrat Party if they no longer had the top cover of the federal government saying, yes, that's right, abortion always for any reason and any reason at any stage of pregnancy is fine. If that went away, there are people who would lose a lot of their power and there are people who would have a lot of explaining to do about the morality and ethics of their of the positions that they've been advocating for a long time. All these people pushing Planned Parenthood, all these people running around saying that, you know, it's all about access for for women to have abortions, especially the, the disproportionate number of uh, minority females who have abortions. You know, that thinking that they're doing great work, uh, people like Chelsea Clinton saying that it's unchristian to not be able to have an abortion. They have really perverted core parts of our ethical fabric. I mean, these people have embraced evil and they are desperate to avoid that reckoning. And so it's important that you remember that because that is what is at stake. That is what is in the background. That is what is pushing all of this right now. It's really not about what Kavanaugh did or didn't do to some woman 30 years ago for Democrats. It's about this is a possible reversal of Roe v. Wade in their mind, and they'll do anything, and I mean anything, that they can to stop this. And I think that's what we've seen. I want to talk to you about the uh, the page-struck text exchange, the most recent one. Uh, they were constructing a narrative, folks. I mean, they they were using the dossier and they were using uh, fragmentary intelligence information to try and convince people and members of the media specifically that there was a, a there there with the Russia collusion thing. And there wasn't. We'll get we'll get into that. That's coming up. Background investigation is critical when you're hiring people to join you in your business, whether it's large or small. You want to make sure the people that you're bringing on are who they say they are, have the skills and clean histories in terms of no criminal nonsense, nothing like that going on. That's why you need somebody who is discreet, who is efficient, and who you can call and count on and trust. That's Global Verification Network. 
I know the CEO personally, Mark Buckman. He's a great guy, and he really cares about this business. He, as a former Navy veteran, knows how much your personnel matter to you day in and day out, and he runs a veteran-owned and operated business that can handle whether you're a startup all the way up to a Fortune 100 company. For all your vetting and background investigation needs, make sure you go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com. Global Verification Network. Leave no stone unturned. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Tough day for Mr. Manafort, but he's accepted responsibility, and uh, he wanted to make sure that his family was able to remain safe and uh, live a good life. He's accepted responsibility, and this is for conduct that dates back many years, and everybody should remember that. Manafort pleads guilty in his second trial. And America sleeps soundly as a result. I mean, this is, this is, whole thing is such a farce. I, I think that one of the really unfortunate, lasting effects of this whole Russia collusion insanity, I, I really do believe this, is going to be that people aren't able to think of the Justice Department uh, and the FBI the same way ever again. How could they? I mean, how could any of us? After what we've seen going on here, after all of the political shenanigans that have clearly been at work, we, we look and, and this is you can separate this out. I'm not saying, oh, you can't trust. Now, now the FBI arrests somebody for being a, a murderer or a drug dealer or whatever, although most murders are prosecuted, not by the feds. But you know what I mean? If you know there, there are bad guys out there and the FBI is dealing with the bad guys, I mean, for politically sensitive investigations. I mean, in areas where the uh, the prosecutor is, in fact, making decisions that could have consequences all the way up to, you know, who is the president of the United States? That's where there's a lack of trust in, at the DOJ. And that's because there should be a lack of trust. I encourage you to not trust them. And it's because if you've been following this case, and also if you have an understanding of what the mentality is in these organizations, as I do, because I used to work at the CIA, they really do believe that they're kind of a government unto themselves. They view themselves as a separate power within the governing apparatus of this country that needs to continue to function the way that it does in order to protect all of us. So they do believe at some level they're, if not above the rules, they're, they're definitely playing by a different set of rules. Um, but Manafort, let me just dive into this for a second. Manafort is now cooperating. And everyone's like, oh, Manafort, he's got stuff on Trump. Manafort doesn't have anything on Trump because there's nothing to have. And there's just this desperation in the media to, have, to, to put it in some context, to have some way of saying, oh, yeah, you know, Manafort is going to flip any day now. Just like you mean Cohen flipped with all of his incredible information on Trump. There's nothing there. Unless they think that, you know, more gossipy stuff about who Trump may or may not have had a, an affair with or anything else. Yeah, I'm sure there's some of that. I mean, I'm sure Manafort probably has some stories about Trump using 
salty language and doing things or acting in a way that you know, the, the elite media would disapprove of. But you know, I have a bigger issue here, which is that Manafort, you know, he had to, he's had to face two trials. He has spent all this money and all this time and dealt with all this, and, and he's been targeted. He has been targeted because he had the temerity to think that he should be allowed to work with the Trump organization and and to attach himself to the Trump campaign. You know, you, you look at these different names, you know, and, and I, I shouldn't put Manafort and Kavanaugh in the same sentence because I believe Kavanaugh is 100 percent innocent. And I think that Manafort obviously did break the law. But you have all these people that are in Trump's circle who have either they've either tried to charge with a crime or have charged with a crime. And we know that prosecutorial discretion is a very real thing. Uh, and they can always decide not to bring charges or to let somebody off really easy. And I think the message for everyone is abundantly clear here, which is if you try to get involved with Trump and, and if you try to play that game, you are going to suffer the consequences. Um, you are going to find yourself on the wrong side of an effort to, well, even the score out. Right. Because remember, a lot of the ideology or a lot of the the belief behind why there need to be people punished around Trump is because they're complicit in the theft of the election from Hillary. That's a that's a big part of this. Uh, and they really believe it. By the way, Lindsey Graham had some words about the DOJ and the FBI. Play clip three, please. What I wish Jeff would talk about, I wish some of my colleagues would talk more about, is what's going on with the Department of Justice and the FBI. I'm going to send a letter today to Rosenstein. These new text messages from Strzok and Page about leaking information about the FISA warrant uh, process to the media is just one in a series of events that scream for special counsel. How much more has to be uncovered at the Department of Justice regarding a political agenda? The Department of Justice and the FBI were political operatives when it came to Trump. They weren't investigators. And this screams for a special counsel. So I, I agree with Jeff. You shouldn't beat on Sessions personally. But I don't know why Rosenstein, who's in charge of this process, doesn't see what I see, an out-of-control Department of Justice and FBI. And what's good for the goose is good for the, for the gander. Let's have a DOJ investigated by somebody outside the Department of Justice. I mean, investigating the investigators, this is... This wouldn't be the first time. You know, I spoke to Ken Starr today. He of the uh, special special prosecutor back in the nineties, and you know he he's all he's all for getting to the bottom of this thing with the DOJ, and he he believes in it. He believes, by the way, in a special counsel in general. He thinks that someone has to be able to hold the president accountable. So, the big thing, though, the big takeaway from Lindsey Graham's uh, soundbite there uh, is that I agree with the senator about these text messages. I mean, how, how much more information can we really have about people acting poorly at the DOJ? I mean, how, how much more sure proof can we have than the text messages between Page and Strzok, where when you read them, you just see, okay, these are people who are a little bit drunk with their own power. They realize they're at kind of the nexus of this, this moment in American politics and therefore the world where they can put their hands on the uh, they can put their thumb on the scale for either Hillary or for Trump and they just or they could have done neither which is what they should have done but they decided to do it for Hillary and they hate Trump and they're trying to take Trump down 
and they're playing very dirty. I mean, all this leak stuff to the media. I don't want a Department of Justice that is uh, that is selectively telling the media things to damage one person's reputation. I, I don't want a Department of Justice that is, that will use its ability. Remember, they're the ones that can run even secret warrants on you as an American citizen. They can run a secret warrant on you without any real meaningful judicial review or due process and then decide what to leak out to the general public. Uh, I, I think that's a huge issue. And these these text messages between Strzok and, and Page, uh, which you know my colleague at the Hill, John Solomon, broke this story over the weekend, they also show that they knew that there was nothing. When the special counsel was appointed, they were aware, meaning Page and Strzok were aware that there really was nothing about Russia collusion. So they had to reach out to the press and get the word out about, well, we got this and that, and, and, and they were helping to construct this whole thing. Well, if there was a lot of there there, they wouldn't have had to do any of that. But we know that they were trying to find a way to convince at least a portion of the, a portion of the public. Gosh, did I just make a kind of whistling sound the way that, is that what Obama does, John? Do we know? Is that is a little bit of a whistle when he talks? I have a little bit of a whistle. Kind of common, you know. I don't know. It's funny, and you know, I, I listen to a, a fair amount of people on TV, and I always find it amusing. Everyone has their ticks, you know, their their go to words, and I'm aware of what some of mine are, but I won't. I don't want to say them now. All of you are going to write me now and say, "Buck, I know what yours are." It, uh, isn't Obama's his intellectual stammer that he has? Uh, wait, which uh, wait, which <laughs> one is that? You mean you want me to go? Uh, Exactly. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, Obama has that thing, which I guess if you think that he's some kind of super genius, you assume that that's some level of like, oh my gosh, Obama's amazing. But for the rest of us, uh, I think it, well, we don't need, we don't need to get into Obama right now. There's going to be plenty of time to talk about Obama because he's going to, the Democrats are going to figure out really quickly that Hillary is not a, a successful surrogate for them. And they're going to have to turn around and say, oh, we're really going to need Obama out there more. And I don't think he's going to be as good either because Obama versus Trump on the public stage doesn't go the way that Obama thinks it will. I'm not saying that Obama doesn't have areas where he's strong and is a problem for Trump, but he does not. Obama's not used to being made fun of. He does not. No one made no one really got to make fun of him when he was president. That was a no, no. And Trump does not care. And I don't think Obama can handle it, honestly. Uh I did also want to have uh, our friend, what's uh, Devin Nunes. Devin Nunes, uh, Nunes said the following about those text messages in FISA Plane 19. The Carter Page FISA, it wasn't just that they used the Clinton dirt to, as a basis to go out and get the FISA. They also used planted news stories to corroborate the the dossier in front of the court. They actually matched this dossier, never telling the court that actually, no, those were planted news stories by the Clinton campaign uh, and the FBI. So these, these people are really dirty. Really dirty. Devin Nunes is right. They, they were playing both sides of it, right? The FBI, the people involved in this investigation, the FBI, were making sure that the public knew certain things and they, they would increase the pressure so they'd have a freer hand to push the investigation the way they wanted. And then they also were able to operate in, in secret and you know get warrants and do all kinds of things. 
you know, Peter Strzok's big moment of glory when he was testifying before the Congress, the thing where he was, like, oh, you know, I've, I've got you now. You know, his whole thing was that one FBI agent without, and by the way, he was the deputy chief of counterintelligence. He's a very senior FBI agent. But one guy couldn't get through all these different layers of review without other people figuring out what's going on. That's just not true. Generally speaking, whoever is lead or point on some of these things would uh, be given a lot of deference by his colleagues. And if it's just a question of you showing some some bad judgment, I don't think people are going to stand up to the deputy chief of counter intel. Because what what if, by the way, what if he did all this stuff and, and Hillary does win? You know, now he's on the right side of the angel, so to speak. And everyone's going to say, oh, well, it was a good thing that you were willing to step in and make sure we protected our democracy with Hillary. Hello? That we were going to make sure that Hillary uh, has her rightful place. You know, uh, the impulse in this country for dynastic politics, this notion that we should have political families. I, you know, I don't know why people won't. More people aren't on my team with this one. We do not need people based on their last name to be in office. We do not need it. We need to stop this from happening. But I suppose that's a conversation more for another time. Look, the text messages about Strzok and Page tell the tale. They were leaking. They were dirty. There was nothing. There's no Russia collusion. And the whole point of this investigation was to get at the Trump team and to take people down and to also justify investigative steps that had already been taken by the anti-Trumpers. So it's exactly what you and I have been saying all along, folks. It's exactly what... Our discussion, our analysis has been has been saying. Uh, I want to talk to you about the Bob Woodward book coming up here in a second. So I read a whole bunch of it over the weekend. Let me tell you, part of it is that it's. But there's some stuff in there. We'll get to that. Stay with me. The Black Rifle Coffee Revolution is underway, my friends, and it is sweeping away all of that commie coffee that you don't want to drink, that you don't need to drink, and replacing it with a patriotic brew, my friends. That's what you want. I'm telling you right now, I have converted so many people in my office to Black Rifle. They see the K-Cups on my desk. I keep a little stash, and I'm, I'm making friends left and right because they are all like, hey, I don't want that crappy coffee that just comes in those corporate boxes. I want Black Rifle coffee because I love America, veterans, and delicious absolutely delicious coffee look it's just a lot better folks the the quality of black rifle coffee is better than what you are getting in a vast majority of office spaces unless you have some little european guy named alphonse who is measuring the foam on your latte you want black rifle coffee i'm telling you go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck again blackriflecoffee.com slash buck and you'll get 15 percent off your order blackriflecoffee.com slash buck did you, Bob Woodward, hear anything in your research and your interviews that sounded like espionage or collusion? Uh, I did not. And, uh, of course, I, I looked for it, looked for it hard. And uh, so, you know, there we are. We're, we're going to see what Mueller has. And Dowd may be right. He has something that Dowd and the president don't know about, a secret witness or, or somebody who is uh, changed their testimony, as you know, that often happens and that can break open or turn a case. But you've seen no collusion. I have not. No collusion, says Woodward. Just like he's borrowing from the Trump talking points there, right? No collusion. Got to be all caps, though, with an exclamation point or else it's not really clear. I mean, what are we really talking about here, folks? Are we talking about collusion? No collusion. Uh, the Woodward book. 
I've been reading it. I'm, I'm not quite through it. I got, I don't know, I'm probably, who cares, 50, 100 pages into it. Um, one thing I'll say is that is that there's a lot in there that's well-known and kind of already known by everybody. So uh, I guess Woodward finds, or Woodward sees part of his role as as chronicling the administration. You know, he's, he's somebody who's telling you, th- taking you through the whole story and, and, and all of it. Uh, I would also note that Woodward is not, uh, anywhere near as gifted a writer as you'd be led to believe based on all the hype around him. His, his, his prose is a little boring. It's very kind of sterile, and there's, there's just not a, there's no swagger in it. That's, that's the best way I can say it. Uh, and, and I also think that this, I, I just read this and I said, there's no way that anybody could have these, these recollections this clearly. I, I just, I don't buy it. If somebody asked me, what was said in my editorial meeting today for, uh, let's say, for Rising? You know, if they asked me what was said in that meeting 12 hours later, I mean, if they jog my memory, I might be able to tell them, yeah, we kind of talked about that topic, but chances are I'm not going to remember much of anything. And the recreations he does of these conversations in the book, and he does it all over the place, it just reads a little bit like a Hollywood screenplay. Like, oh, and this guy says this, and then that guy said that, and then he's got kind of the timing in there of what the response was. And, you know, I think what I think what Woodward really does is that he opens up the reason he gets he gets a lot of access because of his name and all that Woodward and Bernstein. And I understand. But his particular style is all about if you cooperate with him, you get to be one of the creators of this narrative. You don't get to create it entirely, but at least you get a say. And you get to maybe get your cool one-liner in there. And remember, he keeps it all anonymous. So do you want the opportunity to make yourself sound good? Then you got to talk to Woodward. Do you want the opportunity to make it sound like you were the smart person in the room? If you don't talk to Woodward, the other people in the room will talk to him. And so you feel like, well, I might as well have some voice in this whole process. But that all might make for good access and an interesting book. I'm not sure it makes for an accurate book at all. And I know General Mattis and some others have come out and said that they are not accurately quoted or there are other parts of the book that are that are problematic. And that does not surprise me in the least. But I can just tell you that so far, it's really unimpressive. You know, it makes me want to makes me I just want to shoot. That is that doesn't mean anything. Do you remember that, Mike? I want to shoot. Uh, no, but it makes me want to uh, read. Uh, maybe Amarosa's book uh, or finish Fire and Fury. Fire and Fury, I'll say this. It might have been made up, but at least it was really good reading. <laughs> it was really entertaining. Uh, Woodward's book so far is pretty boring. Uh, Amarosa's book, I'm sure, has a lot of fiction in it, but it, it probably has a little more sass and a little more panache than, than what Woodward's got. But yeah, he didn't find any collusion, folks, because there is no collusion. Because as I've said to you from the very beginning of this investigation, it wouldn't even make sense for there to be collusion. It doesn't make sense. There is no reason for Trump to have done it or to do it. Put aside whether he'd be willing to do it. It's a bad idea. It's a highly ineffective way to try to throw an election. And the risks are enormous. And because the risks are enormous... He didn't do it because if he had done it, he'd be caught. You know, this is everything else at this point is kind of just nonsense. I want to talk to you about hurricane politics, though. Oh, yes, that's still happening. We'll get to that in just a moment. 
The president continuing to dispute the official death toll of close to 3,000 people in Puerto Rico, carelessly spreading conspiracy theories. Donald Trump has become the conspiracy theorist in chief. He's in the most powerful office in the world, and he's promoting conspiracy theories. The president continues to spread conspiracy theories, even about hurricanes, suggesting the death toll in the wake of Hurricane Maria was inflated by Democrats to make him look bad. Death toll denialism. There's an interesting new phenomenon. This is hurricane denialism. It's modern day Holocaust denial. Modern day Holocaust denial. Now, I want you to remember how they fixate on that term denialism here when it comes to Trump and his response to what was what was a political attack, folks. It was political. The the way that they came at him on on the uh, hurricane in Puerto Rico and the aftermath of it, they have never counted uh, the number before, and they've never counted it that way. And this idea that you're going to say that 3,000 people were killed by a hurricane, anytime you say that, people assume that 3,000 people died from the actual storm. Not 3,000 people died on an island in excess, an island of millions of people, in excess of what we would expect because of different infrastructure situation and and because of, you know, lack of electricity or, or whatever the case may be. I mean, there's a lot, you know, they, they keep saying the official death count is 3,000. They don't know. The real number is 700, which I would note over a six-month period is, is a statistically not a particularly huge variation in, in a death count. Remember, we're talking about people that are dying from old age, too. People are dying from diseases they had before the hurricane. Now, you know, the, the problem is, see, this is, I fall into the trap now, right? You fall into the trap right away. By, they, use, they come up with these statistics, and when you say the statistics are, are inflated or are, are problematic in some way, then you're heartless. So your only response, the only response that for Trump that's really allowed is to sit there and say, yeah, you're right. I guess I just don't care about Puerto Rico. I guess the, the massive federal response that we had was just in my imagination. And, you know, th- that's your only option. Because if you challenge them on the numbers, if you challenge them on the reality of what they did or did not do to try to get to this 3,000, uh, they just say that you're you're a mean person. They say that you're you're a bad human being, and and this is the, this is why you know Democrats play all these games so dirty. They they played this one very dirty, and uh, I think that the the way that they've been able to try to connect Maria, as I've been saying all along, to the Bush administration response to Katrina, this is this is it's like they have a playbook. It's, it's as though they they get Democrats all in one room. They say, how do we? really tarnish this president? How do we really hurt him when it comes to the elections? Uh, but the denialism point, just remember this. They, they say de- denialism is a very loaded word for Democrats. They'll say this about climate change, right? You're a climate change denier or you're engaging in climate change denialism. And when you try to push back on this, what you realize is that they're using that term specifically because it, it evokes Holocaust denial in the mind. Right? That's why they're calling. Just like, you know, uh, by the way, I don't think a lot of people know this, but the term uh, neoconservative was was coined early on by liberals. And it was, 
not that there's any not that there's really anything to connect neo conservative with neo nazi but they just knew that there was a there was a, a connectivity in people's minds about it so that's why they were like neo conservative that was what the the the, the origins of this uh, that was what they were going for so the the terminology absolutely matters and to say it's denialism is to and, and that one guy who I didn't know who that was that one person on TV said that they're engaging in denialism, denialism akin to what happened in the Holocaust. Um, folks, this is a na- it was a natural disaster for which the federal government and I'm not guessing. I spoke to the rep in Congress for Puerto Rico. She said in no uncertain terms that there was a tremendous response. There was a lot of resources. We sent them so much stuff that they couldn't handle all this stuff we sent. You know, part of this is also that nobody on the island of Puerto Rico, uh, or, or rather nobody in the media talking about the response in Puerto Rico, wants to look at what was the response like on the island itself. What was local government able to do? What was the, uh, what was the standing of the power grid before this hurricane even hit? But, you know, this is this is why they set it up the way they do, because even just talking to you about this right now and trying to get to a more honest place with regard to the uh, the hurricane situation and, and all the all the rest of it, um, they say you're they say you're mean and you're, you're falling into their trap, which is, oh, my gosh, 3000 people died and you don't even care. Oh, my gosh. How could you be so so heartless about all of this? So far, it looks like, um, well, I, I guess we're in the we're still in kind of the worst phase of the flooding in in North Carolina, um, but it it's the, the response so far has been, I think, what would be expected. I won't say it's good or it's bad, but it's it's what would be expected. The death toll has risen to twenty people in the Carolinas. Now, I'd be very curious to see, you know, if this, uh, you know, afterwards if they're going to do the same kind of methodology as they did in Maria to see what the long-term effects of this are, my guess would be that we'll have a much more accurate count. Um, and that will mean that the number is actually much lower. And then they'll say, we'll see Trump cares more about people in North Carolina because, you know, the Carolinas actually vote for the president and Trump doesn't care about people, Puerto Rico. And let's be honest about it too. They say that Trump doesn't care about Puerto Rico because of racism. I mean, I think they've been pretty open about that. They they really think that Donald Trump has been uh, has has turned a blind eye, has been disinterested in the fate of Puerto Rico after Maria because it is full of the island has Puerto Ricans on it. I mean, not all Puerto Ricans, but a, a lot of the people on the island are Puerto Rican, and and they've been saying this. I mean, they've been saying all along that Trump is racist. So in the Carolinas, that won't apply. We'll see. But you know, our one of our continuing theses here of the show is just that everything is political but you know you see that weather absolutely falls into that and into that category now and i'd also note folks um you know people died during hurricane sandy uh, i remember it you know remember and then remember with chris christie and the hug on the beach with obama i mean new york city was in terrible shape and, and there were whole parts of new jersey that were essentially on the jersey shore that were basically swept away and there was not this effort to blame obama because we all realized i didn't look i didn't blame obama i'm like it was a really bad storm it's not it's not obama's fault obama couldn't have done anything about it 
Because this is a normal, rational response to these things. You know, it's terrible. It's a tragedy. But, you know, there there is a time when you got to say, yes, yeah, stuff happens. And Sandy was a stuff happened situation. And I was there and I was, you know, it, it affected me. And it was, uh, you know, it, it was for a lot of people incredibly painful because they lost their homes. And, and there were people who lost their lives. There were people who got swept away by the storm surge. So, you know, Sandy was was the other version of how the media covers a or, or doesn't really cover a, a media a, a weather event. They were not tying it to Obama at all. It was not something that in any way, shape or form they put on the Obama administration. And I'm just I'm telling you, if they had wanted to, if they had really looked into it. They could have told those stories. This is where we see the bias. This is where you have the, uh, you know, the, the recurring bias that that goes on with the mainstream's narrative all the time. And, you know, that's. I, they're going to try to find a way to make the, the Florence. You have, you know, Hurricane Florence. You've had all this prep time, and the federal government saying you've got to get ready for this, and you've got to be prepared for for everything, and all the warnings. And Brock Long out there, if there is anything at all that they can pin on Trump, that they they will. And that's why a lot of this just gets drowned out after a while. You reach this point where you say, you know what, I. It's it's always Trump's fault. If everything is Trump's fault, then it starts to feel like nothing is Trump's fault. If everything is, oh my God, Trump is the worst guy ever, then you get this place. You say, well, you know, are they being objective about anything? And there's one more note here. I saw this. I I, I saw the, the very well known photo now of these dogs that were in a cage. I read earlier that uh, it turns out that the owner of the dogs hadn't left them. The owner was in medical need and and was being rescued at the same time as the dogs are being rescued. So. That is, assuming that's true, that's different than what the initial sense of that story was. But I got to tell you, and I know this is focusing on one little little part of all this, but you know, I, I know my own family, for example, and I know that if there were if there were a hurricane and a storm surge, and for some reason, you know, the family dog couldn't come with us, my mom would be there, you know, up to her waist holding the dog and waiting for waiting for reinforcements waiting for help to come. I mean the, the these people who leave their dogs behind, I just I don't I I can't I cannot in any way understand I mean it, it enrages me and I can't in any way understand it and that that they have to put out all these public service announcements saying don't leave your dog behind. I, it, you know, it makes me wish that there was like licensing for dogs, but you know, then again, that would be big government so we don't really want that. Ho- hopefully these dogs that are being saved because a lot of them are, are going to get uh, adopted quickly. I'm sure that will happen. Um, we have much more coming up, team, so uh, stay right there. If it isn't Hillary in November, does your act change? Does your outlook My change? act will change because I'll need to learn to speak Spanish because I will move to Spain. Trump win. I'm moving to Africa. I'm either coming to your country if you'll let me in or Canada. I'm also reserving my... Uh, my uh, ticket to get out of here if he wins. Maybe it's time for me to move. I can afford to go. He can't possibly really be trying to be elected to become president. I did buy a house in another country just in case. So all these people (laughs) that threaten threaten to leave the country and then don't, I will leave that country. I'm pretty sure they haven't. Producer Mike, can we get a fact check on that? That was a fun little montage. Uh, Not much in the way of celebrities leaving the country because of Trump's election. Why do people even think that that's a threat? I, you know, what are we supposed to care? 
Like we we can't handle life without a few of these entertainers who are fiercely clinging to whatever privileged perch they they have. That that's usually the case. But we couldn't exist without them staying here. You know, th- this is because the the era of of Trump derangement syndrome in which we find ourselves is one where the the culture now rewards people for saying insane things about the president. Uh, you see this with. What's what's the crazy redhead who did the the thing with the beheading with the Trump? You know, what I'm talking Griffin, Kathy Griffin. She was actually on my show recently, but not not this show on on Rising, and I didn't get a chance to interview her. It was one of my colleagues, uh, but she has been uh, elevated because of this. You know, this is there's really a perverse incentive, folks. I mean, when you stand up and say you're going to leave the country because you don't like who the president is, as long as it's a Republican and especially if it's Trump, there's never this moment for people like that, for these different celebrities and these whiners when they have to step back and say, hold on a second. You know, maybe I love the country more than I love the president or the presidency. You know, maybe I love America more than I love my ideas being reflected back to me by whoever's in power all the time. You know, they don't take that approach. They take the the tantrum approach. You know, they take the crybaby, whiny approach to things. And what I think is so interesting about that is that they are rewarded for it. That people think that, oh man, you know, you, you've shown us how much you really, the fact that you even say that you would leave the country just shows how much you care, man. You know, it just shows us how much, and then you, you look at someone like a Kathy Griffin. She is now bigger than ever before. She's traveling all over the world and, and she's this martyr for the cause. And that's why I and this ties into the whole Kavanaugh thing today, too. I don't want to hear it anymore where people do something that is not brave, that is not hard and that will benefit them personally and professionally. In this case, trashing a Republican or trashing Trump. And then act like they're some kind of martyr. I I just don't, I can't deal with it anymore. All right? We see this over and over again. You know, whoever it is, whether it's, you know, some fired FBI flack who, some, some flunky from DOJ who all of a sudden has, you know, a bank account with half a million dollars in it because hashtag resistance. I mean, the left takes care of their people. And if you take one for the team, they have your back. It's one of the most powerful things about progressivism is that the institutions and the cultural uh, the, the cultural capital of the progressive left is used for its fighters all the time. Uh, and that's why the celebrities saying this stuff is just so funny to me. And this is a way of advancing. This is a way of going forward with their careers, but they act like it's going to be such a big thing. You know, as I've been saying with the Kavanaugh accuser, Ford, she will, no matter what happens now, be consi- she'll be, get on the, uh, the lecture circuit. She'll be giving $50,000 a speech. $50,000 a speech is my guess. Pretty soon. Okay, Um, and and she's going to be more well-known, more famous than she's ever been. She'll if she doesn't have tenure already at her college, she'll get tenure. All all, all these doors will open to her. But but people are going to tell us all week. Oh, my gosh, it's so hard. And she's the fact that she's done this. Yeah, she's going to get death threats from some Trump supporters, which is terrible. And nobody should do that. But 
I know people in media who get death threats from liberals all the time. And it doesn't make them some kind of national hero. No, no one's sitting around talking about that. But on the other side of it, they don't get anybody rushing to sign them to a big book deal or to make them make their life easier, make everything so much better for them, right? So, you know, that's, that's I think, another part of this that, that doesn't really get enough attention. But the, it's, it's like college kids who stand up and say, I'm about to speak truth to power in an auditorium surrounded by people who agree with me. And this is going to be hard to say, but I think Trump is a monster. And everyone goes, yeah, it's like, yeah, you're so brave. No, you're not brave. If you say something that everybody around you will love you for and will benefit you in every possible way, that is not that is not what brave is. You could say it's strategic. You could say it's smart. You could say it's self-serving. It is not brave. The left needs a refresher on what the word brave actually means. And it's certainly not threatening to leave the country and then not leaving, as all these celebrities we've seen have done. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. But this onslaught that we're seeing does require, require us not only to be vigilant, but be more aggressive and demand more, demand more of our leaders who represent basic American values of respect, decency, equality, giving hate no safe haven. This is deadly earnest. We are in a fight for America's soul. And we have leaders, we have leaders who at the time when that occurred, when these guys were accompanied by white supremacists and Ku Klux Klan and those who objected, making a comparison saying they're good people in both groups. What has become of us? Our children are listening and our silence is complicity. And thanks to you, our children, my grandchildren, will grow up in a world that's far more just, open-minded and humane. But our work is not yet done by any stretch of the imagination. The stakes are much too high. And as I said, we faced with an administration and some of its most ardent right-wing supporters from the Ku Klux Klan, the head of the Ku Klux Klan is endorsed, and the alt-right, who are trying to undo all the progress you have made and the little that Barack and I have made with you. Despite losing in the courts and in the court of public opinion, these forces of intolerance remain determined to undermine and roll back the progress you all have made. This time, they, not you, have an ally in the White House. This time, they have an ally. They're a small percentage of the American people, virulent people, some of them the dregs of society. And instead of using... The, the dregs of society, he says, huh? No, I think we've had enough. I think we've had enough Biden. We've had enough Biden. The dregs of society. Now, if we're really going to play this game, I think there are dregs of society that support both political parties. Uh, but this is this is taking the whole notion of a deplorable even further and just going all in with the stuff that we've been told this entire time about Trump, even though 
Trump is the first president in history. And I mean, this is relevant because Biden was speaking at the Human Rights Campaign's National Dinner, which is for uh, LGBTQ rights. Uh, Biden was the first, I'm sorry, Trump was the, Biden wasn't the first to do anything. Uh, Trump was the first president ever to come into office uh, waving a uh, rainbow gay pride flag on stage as, as he, remember that? He, he did that before he gave a, one of his town halls. Uh, Trump is the first person to ever become president who is completely uh, on board with same-sex marriage. Uh, so I just think it's interesting. Barack Obama was very much against same-sex marriage because, politically speaking, he wanted to make sure that he had uh, particularly black churches in the South on board for his first election and did not want to cause any problems by opposing traditional or seeming like he was not a supporter of traditional marriage. So it was just a political calculation, you see. So, But Barack was allowed to be a political calculator when it came to uh, the gay rights movement. It, it, it is not the case that any Republican would get such the benefit of the doubt, but even beyond that, that a Republican would even get any, any credit for this, you know, this movement. But more to the point here, Biden thinks he's running, folks. Biden really, truly believes that he is the answer to what ails the country, that he is the one Biden is the one that we have been waiting for. Um, I will tell you, this is a bit, this is a little bit of a, of a jaw dropper, but I, I do think that he is, if you look at the polling among Democrats, he is certainly one of the most favorable possible candidates for the Democratic Party going, going into 2020. And he thinks that uh, he, may, he made a mistake by not running the last time. Now, I think Trump would have absolutely... Uh, wipe the floor with Biden just because th- there's nothing about Biden that's impressive. I mean, Trump, who is very good at insults, said it quite well. If it wasn't for Obama making Biden a vice president, Biden would kind of be just another senator from a state that not a lot of people pay all that much attention to. No offense, Delaware. I love you, Delaware, but people tend not to lead the news cycle with what's going on. Hi, I'm in Delaware. So, Biden's out there giving this speech, calls them the dregs, calls some Trump supporters. He said some, he didn't say all, but refers to Trump supporters as the dregs of society. I would just note that there are uh, plenty of folks, plenty of folks on all sides of the political spectrum who none of us would want to be associated with or hang out with. But it is only the Democrats who consistently get away with this pretense that, uh, you know, we have to have every Republican, every candidate has to be asked, hey, you know, what do you think of David Duke, which is the ultimate political version of the when did you stop beating your wife question? Hey, what do you think about the neo-Nazi? Just being asked about it is a way of tainting anybody who gets uh, gets the question thrown their way. So, you know, that, that's why they still talk. And by the way, have you seen David Duke anywhere since the election? No. I, I almost think that David Duke is some kind of a Democrat plot where they hold him in some basement somewhere and then they, they let him out just when there's a Republican who has a real shot of winning a national election. They're like, oh, it's time to unleash the David Duke. And and they let him go. And then he runs around and says, you know, I support the person on the right. 
Meanwhile, I mean, you could do the same thing, and you never hear this, but there is an American Communist Party still. Do you know who the American Communist Party supported in the last election? Well, actually, I'm not sure if it was... I think it was Hillary. It could have been Bernie. <laughs> well, in the general, they supported Hillary. So there you go. That's right. Do you ever hear that the American Communist Party supports the Democrat? No, of course not, because no one in the media wants to talk about that. And they would say to you, oh, well, that's because the American Communist Party is irrelevant, to which I would say, yes, yeah, so is David Duke. Why are we even talking about this? Uh, but Biden is um, somebody who has mistaken has this mistaken belief that the rhetorical gifts and, and political skills of Barack Obama have somehow translated to him. I, I can assure you all they have not. I know you already know that. Although he is not the only Democrat retread that is clearly angling for a 2020 comeback. It's not just Biden, folks. There's another one. Hello. She's back. She's bad. She's ready for action. Hillary Clinton, folks. I, You know this. I have been saying all along. You're like, Buck, tell me it's not true. It is true. Accept it. I, gosh, Mom, I have a cold. I can't really do the Hillary voice right now. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is that Hillary is still doing stuff that I don't think she'd be doing unless she still wanted to be a player. And Hillary has no interest and being a player for anybody else, folks. H Hillary does not have any interest in uh, just helping the party for the sake of the party. I, I don't think Hillary really cares about the Democratic Party. Hillary cares about the Clinton Party. And she doesn't want that party to stop. Ain't no party like a Clinton party because the Clinton party involves a lot of corruption. Uh, she wrote an editorial in The Atlantic. Kind of an interesting choice. I'm not sure why she decided to go with The Atlantic. American democracy is in crisis. Our democratic institutions and traditions are under siege. We need to do everything we can to fight back. What does this even mean that our institutions and traditions are under siege? I hear this a lot. This, this is meaningless to me. Under siege how? What institution is under siege now? Well, oh, the media? The incredibly hyper-partisan and, uh, and you know, one-sided... Mainstream media, they're getting some pushback. Oh, no. I thought the media was all about the free expression of ideas. I didn't think that the media needed some kind of socially enforced monopoly. I thought that they would just impress us all with their great work. I didn't think that we had to sit around and worry about and whether the media was feeling like they were getting enough love. Yeah, here we are. Um here we are with Hillary. Oh, the first line in this piece is fantastic. It's been nearly two years since Donald Trump won enough electoral college votes to become president of the United States. On the day after, in my concession speech, I said, we owe him an open mind and a chance to lead. I hope that my fears were overblown. They were not. I just love that she starts with won enough electoral college votes to become president of the United States. That's another way of saying won the election, Hillary. That's right. That's how you win the election. This is the, the among the, the stupid talking points and childish tantrums that you see from Democrats. This fixation on the popular vote as though it means something is is one of the most is one of the just the most pathetic, really. Yeah, there, there's a reason, folks, that Republicans go go to certain states, battleground states, because they know they're not going to win New York. They know they're not going to win California. They would spend more resources and more 
time and, and messaging on some of the mega blue states if it were a popular vote count. Because, And by the way, people like me who have lived in New York basically their whole adult lives were Republicans would actually, I mean, I vote, but other people would go out and vote who wouldn't vote because they realize that it actually does matter. It doesn't just get kind of canceled out because all the electoral votes go to the, the Democrats. So anyway, it's a different race. But Hillary wrote this editorial. It's, it's the usual stuff. Trump is a liar. Trump's the worst. Trump is terrible. It's this long editorial. And you know what it is, folks? This is Hillary trying to keep her name out there, trying to be a part of the hashtag resistance because I'm telling you, Hillary Clinton thinks she's running for president again. You think I'm crazy. That's fine. She is waiting in the wings for her opportunity, and she thinks she's going to get it. The FBI says home title theft is one of the fastest growing crimes out there. Brace yourselves because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for when a thief steals your home's title. Look, folks, it's not hard for the bad guys to do this, and they go after Americans. Remember, the thieves are all over the world. They don't have to be near you. They just need Internet access. They take you. They find your home's title. They replace your name with an alias, and then they borrow to the hilt. They use your equity for the purpose of securing a loan. They take that money. Then you get stuck with the loan payments. Identity theft monitoring does not protect you. But you know what does? Home title lock. For just pennies a day, home title lock protects my most valuable asset, my family's home. Register now and you can get a free screening, folks. Check it out for yourself. A free analysis. It's $100 value free when you go to home. TitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com to protect your most valuable asset, your family's home. Check it out. Why do we have to mix football? You know, the season just started with so much this patriotic bullshit. You know, the flyovers and the flag on the field and the singing and the baseball has two songs now. Like I forget that they sing the national anthem at the beginning in the seventh inning. Like I forgot what country I'm in in six innings. You know, I think it's kind of funny that that uh, you're hearing now. That was obviously Bill Maher, who li- likes to be a little provocative. Uh, but, you know, if things were going a little differently, meaning that if, if the left had won this one over the anthem, uh, then I think they'd feel very differently about it. Now they want to either just forget about it, move on past it, uh, because I think that a lot of players realized that as much as the NFL is... Uh, a major American sports franchise. And as much as it's uh, generating billions of dollars of revenue, people care more about patriotism and respecting the troops than they do about who's going to win the next NFL game. And that's true of of a lot of Americans. Um, And I think that that's another, you you see, it's one of these moments where the the left is like, okay, well, what's with all that stuff anyway? Who cares? Let's move on to something else. And it's because if if push came to shove, they weren't really going to uh, to win with this one. This was not good. This was not going to be a winning issue for them. You know, uh, I also saw over the weekend. Not that I not that I'm going to start talking to you about sports a lot. I know it's not really my area. I don't sound like somebody who because I don't watch much sports. But I, I had two things. One is that I watched a boxing match with. Uh, Canella and Triple G because my older brother likes boxing. So we had some bro time, actual bro time, where we watched a boxing match together. And John, do you know that cost $80 to watch that thing on pay-per-view? Now I know how these fighters get a $100 million purse or whatever. Uh, And also, they call it a purse. I always find that kind of funny. 
Um, but, you know, I, I, I watched boxing, and the problem with boxing is if you grew up watching the Rocky movies, you're used to people just throwing these giant haymakers and just clocking each other all the time. And then when you watch an actual boxing match, it's so very different. I mean, there's so much more, um, you know, I don't know, science to it, Sweet, the sweet science of boxing. But I watched some boxing over the weekend. That was a reminder of why I generally don't watch much boxing. But also some some stats came out. Some stats came out about the whole Serena Williams phenomenon. I, I, I'm going to keep it short on the sports stuff today, but I did think it was worth noting that there were there was this whole storyline out there that Serena Williams, you'll recall, threw a tantrum and she got into trouble. And of course, she she said that it was sexist and maybe even racist. That was implied. No one said that. But usually when uh, Serena Williams gets in trouble, there'll be people who say that, uh, that it somehow race plays a factor. And I know that those who believe in intersectionality in American society, the idea that all these different groups are competing and oppressing one another, and we have to balance that out, that uh, race is always a factor. That's what we're told. We're told that race is always a factor. So Serena Williams uh, lost her, her lost her cool and engaged in a, a tantrum of sorts. And, you know, we, we then were told that it was because she was a female. And, you know, she, she broke a racket. I mean, she did some bad stuff. And she said that a man would have gotten away. This became the line. A man would have gotten away with it. Well, Jason Whitlock, who is a sports analyst that I, I hear is actually pretty thoughtful. Uh, not that I would know. I don't really know much about sports analysts. But he has all the numbers here compiled for all fines from the uh, United States Tennis Association from 1998 to 2018. And who wants to guess whether men or women get more fines for unsportsmanlike conduct and, and bad behavior in the court? Anyone take a guess? Men get a much higher number of fines for these things. Racket abuse. Men, 646. Women, 99 audible obscenity men 344 women 140 unsportsmanlike conduct men 287 women 67 now i bring this up for two reasons one is that it was it was obvious to many of us right away that this notion that serena williams was being penalized for being a woman was preposterous and it was that a man would get away with it was just a self-justifying and uh you know essentially get out of jail free card for losing her cool because she was getting her butt kicked on that tennis court. Look, she's the greatest of all time, but that doesn't mean she's the greatest. And when it comes to sportsmanship and she's quite far from that and she was getting her clock cleaned on that tennis court and she didn't like it. Uh, but, but, you know, you also then look at this and, and notice that disparate impact is when one group claims that they are, even if it's not on a specific basis, even if it's not something that on, on each individual case is true, in the aggregate, a group is affected more by something than another and, and that there's something unjust about that inherently. Disparate impact would be, for example, uh, more young black drivers are pulled over on a stretch of highway than anybody, than anybody else. Well, you could say, is there any one incident where a black driver was um, unfairly pulled over or is this just the overall number? And the answer is, Disparate impact theory looks at the overall number and says, well, there must be bias here. 
Well, if you were to apply that to tennis and to women's, uh, well, to professional tennis in general, there's a disparate impact against men, not against women. But we all know that the reality is men, because of testosterone and society and all the rest of it, are more likely to drop salty language. Not the only ones to do it, but they're more likely to do it. They're more likely to smash things because men like smash. And so this all makes sense to us, right? But when you look at the numbers, the Serena Williams thing was all a lie. But now now everyone's kind of moved on from it. They've forgotten. I mean, I obviously haven't because I found the whole thing very distasteful. And I thought it was really mean that Osaka, who had won her first uh, won her first major tournament, had it really stolen from her in terms of her moment of glory by Serena Williams' tantrum. But social justice and the ideology of the left came into this. And once again, social justice was wrong. There's no question that social media can be a pretty gross place. You've seen it, I've seen it. But that doesn't mean that it's always that way. In fact, one of the great things about social media is that I can talk to many of you. I have a much better way to connect with you than I ever would have before. And occasionally, just occasionally, there is an opportunity for something really fun or coincidental to happen on social media. So I have my older brother down in the swamp with me, down in D.C. this past weekend. And he, among many things, is the uh, co-founder of an incredible muffin company. You can check out, if you want to check them out, just go to Susie's.com and you'll see they have these gluten-free, really good ingredient, delicious tasting muffins. Uh, But we went to this food show where you have all these innovative food brands that show up, and it's mainly for people in the industry, but I, I got to try all kinds of stuff, man. There's some amazing, imagine walking around a, a huge convention center, and it's just all the newest and most delicious granola bars and jerky and different sweet treats and chocolates and all kinds. I mean, it was just, everything was there. I mean, they had so much uh, delicious food. I mean, really snacks, but delicious food that they were handing out to people. So we were hanging out. My, my brother mentioned something to me because he said, I forget even how it came up, but I said something like, you know, James Woods of Twitter accounts really funny. You should follow it. You know, he's, he's a really sharp guy. And my brother told me, and I didn't realize this at the time. Well, you know, James Woods was friends with grandma, with our grandmother. I said, what do you, what do you mean? James Woods was friends with our grandmother. I, I didn't, I didn't know that. And it seemed like a pretty random thing to find out. And he said, yeah, no, a long time ago when, when my grandmother was a, uh, a, an actress, uh, not really professionally, but did, did a fair amount of, of theater here and there. And I think she did do some uh, paid work. I know she had been a, a commercial model, um, but my grandmother was in a play and she was quite a bit older than James Woods. Uh, he was just starting out his career and they got along very well and she thought very highly of him and you know, they, they work together on this play for a whole season or whatever you call it when the play goes on. So uh, James Woods tweeted something at me last night. And I figured, you know what? I'm just going to give this a go. I've, I've been wondering if this family lore is true. So I responded to him. As an aside, my mother recently told me that you were acquainted with my dearly departed grandmother, Jean, a wonderful and elegant woman. I believe you did a play with her many years ago. Wanted to tell you that Grandma Jean thought of you as brilliant, funny, and talented. Well, James Woods soon thereafter responded, 
I always said Jean was the best judge of character. Seriously, Jean was a lovely woman. I'm sorry she is no longer with us, Buck, but I guarantee she enriched the lives of all she knew. She made mine better in the early starving actor days for sure. Now, that was a really nice little message from James Woods, I, I have to say. I've always thought he was a good actor, but now I know he's also obviously a good guy. And it's just so funny. What a small world that my grandmother, many, many years ago, would have been acting in a play with James Woods. And then, without either of us ever knowing, we're interacting on Twitter, and turns out that we have this connection, and he totally remembers her. Uh, so I thought that was kind of fun. You know, occasionally social media is not the terrible cesspool of the worst of humanity. Occasionally there's something that comes from it that's uh, kind of fun and nice, other than talking to all of you, which is always fun and nice. That's why we say use the roll call for facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Grandma Jean was amazing. Many of you listening to this would have really liked her. She was a devout Catholic, uh, but she was really into theater, obviously. She did this play with James Woods. She was into ballroom dancing, she would tell us to listen. She was a, a big proponent of listening to uh, the music, kind of that music from the, you know, the, the 30s and the 40s. Um, so, you know, I, I think you, you know, Frank Sinatra and all that. She, she's, she was a truly one of a kind, an elegant woman, and, and she's very much missed. Uh, she was a throwback to another era in all, in all the best ways. And I just thought it was so funny that James Woods and her knew each other. So anyway, it was nice. And I appreciated James uh, being so, so gallant and, uh, and friendly about the whole thing. We have roll call, which is going to be coming up here in just a moment, team. So uh, get ready for that. You know, that's always, that's always exciting stuff. And I get to hear from all of you. So that's coming up. Stay with me. Ain't no party like a team buck party. Cause a team buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. All right, Roll Call time. Let's see what we got here. First up, and if you want to be a part, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Very easy way to reach out to me and the rest of the team. We have Darby up first, our brother Darby. He writes, I had a feeling I wasn't alone on the uh, whistling. Thank you, Buck, and thank you to the rest of the Freedom Hut that suffer along with me. By the way, bought some EOD fudge today. As soon as I heard Aaron and Michaela on your show, they're both American heroes, shields high. Well, Darby, I'm sure that fudge is going to taste extra delicious. So uh, thank you so much for checking it out, and always good to hear from you. Ted writes, Buck, Kavanaugh's mistake was his unequivocal denial. Heck, I was once stumbling drunk in high school. I can't remember much else. That is what Kavanaugh should have said because it would have given him a necessary measure of believability. These carte blanche, uh, carte blanche denials that suspects issue are too cute by half. Well, Ted, I, I got to say, I, I disagree with you on this one because if he said that he didn't remember anything, uh, then he would, in fact, be in, in much worse shape. Uh, so that's, that's, I think, what you, you need to keep in mind here. I mean, if, if he had said, I don't know what happened, then whatever the accuser says happened is the only record of what happened. So I don't think that, 
I don't think on this one your advice would be a good idea for Kavanaugh. Uh, Paul writes, why is no one criticizing Cortez for woman-splaining in a $3,000 outfit while trying to relate to economically disaffected people? Paul, some people did criticize her for that, and she, this is about Ocasio, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. People did criticize her, and then in response to all of this, uh, she said that she did not get to keep the clothing. It was part of a photo shoot, so she felt that criticism was unfair. Um, I prefer to focus on her policy instead of her fashion choices because her policy is uh, humorous enough for, for, for my money uh, without having to get into any discussion of how she chooses to dress herself or what she wears. But I appreciate hearing from you, Paul. Uh, Ralph writes, here we go. Uh, This post was removed by Facebook. I am repeating it. Um, I am, uh, if it is again removed, I'll verify social media political agenda bias. FYI, boys and girls, I am a conservative Republican and support Donald Trump 100%. I vote straight ticket. I'm also an avid hunter and own many guns. I harvest and eat wild game. I support the NRA. I don't think I am special. I support your right to do legally as you choose. I also support your right to speak freely. However, if you okay, if you choose to express your opinion of my way of being with insults, I support my right to block you. Okay, Ralph, thanks for the update. Good to talk to you. Carol writes, I'm a fan. You ask, well, Carol, I'm a fan. Thank you for writing in. You ask for a series to watch. Try Bosch on Amazon, Fauda, an Israeli series, and Border Town, a Finnish series on Netflix. Try Deep State and Berlin Station on Epic, and try Borgen on MHZ. Based on listening to you, I think you'd like all of them. Wow, a lot of, a lot of foreign stuff. Danish series, Spluggen, Spluggen. Uh, I'll have to check out, and the Finnish series too, that'll be interesting i tried an episode of berlin station and i liked it so i should go back and and give it a second shot i think i thought it was pretty good michael writes listen to some of obama's speeches you can't miss it his lisp uh, especially noticeable when he's lying using some of his straw man arguments or trying to sound legit it's clear as a bell um all right michael well i will uh go back and listen to some of his i i never picked that up i don't know what's wrong with me i just somehow it just didn't just didn't happen for me. Never heard it. Jim writes, roll call. Sorry, Jack Ryan is a waste of time. Terrible production from makeup to the acting. Not sure what you saw in it, either than a reflection of your awesome life. Maybe we are spoiled with the qu- high quality of Netflix and HBO, etc. Amazon, Amazon looks like they got new HD cameras like back in the early 2000s. I quit after the first one, but watched two more because you spoke highly of it. From what I saw, they were trending towards sympathizing with Muslim extremists. Shields high. You know, Jim, I think you, buddy, buddy, I think you bailed a little early on this one. I can't speak to the production value part of it, although Amazon is one of the wealthiest companies in the world. So I feel like they can probably pay for whatever they want to pay when it comes to their series. But maybe in this one, they got a little little tight fisted. I, I don't know. Uh, but as for sympathizing with Muslim extremists, look, the show has the bad guys as actual jihadists and doesn't do the whole, oh, they're jihadists, but they're actually 
they're actually being run by a Blackwater-like organization of Americans, you know, some nonsense like that. So the bad guys are jihadists, and I, I that doesn't change from what I can gather. So I think it's pretty good, my friend. I I, I don't know. We're going to have to agree to disagree on this one. Look, I, there's some stuff that's ridiculous, I've, but it's a TV show. I don't want to be that guy who sits around and is like, well, you know, it's not the most realistic thing I've ever seen. I mean, there's some things here and things there that aren't exactly realistic, and I just think, you know, it should be more realistic. And That's not fun for anybody. Sorry, about, by, guys, uh, by the way, about my voice today. I had a cold over the weekend, so or I woke up with a cold on Sunday. Alan writes, Buck, totally enjoy your take on current affairs. I wonder if you think that C. Ford would have come out with her accusation if the nominee for Supreme Court was a choice of the Democrats instead of Republicans. This is separate from whether the accusation is true or not. Perhaps some bias on her part regarding this. Alan, I think it's a political hit. I've been very clear about that. Uh, If there's new evidence, I'll change my mind if I think that that's required. I mean, if I think that that's where the facts lead us. But I think this is a political hit, pure and simple. Uh, I I, I do not believe this woman. I do I do not believe her. So that, that's not to say that I would never believe her, but based on what I've been told so far, and, and I would just note there's no point in telling me, oh, Buck, you have to wait. There's no process. I, I mean, what, I'll hear her testimony, sure, that's, but that's, in a sense, going with your gut feeling as well because there's no official process. There's no, not going to be any adjudication of what happened there, uh, and, and I don't believe her. I, I think that it's a little too, the whole thing's a little too convenient. The timing's a little too convenient, the nature of the allegation when it was released that she took a polygraph before she didn't want it to come out, but she had already polygraphed herself. The whole thing feels a little just it's it's too too much of a coincidence, and, and I'm not I'm not buying it. Also, doesn't remember the house. I'm sorry, uh, I, I can't remember any time in my life where something important happened in a in a location, and I have no idea what the location was. So I, I, that, I have a very tough time with that, too, because keep in mind, folks, if she if she could tell you what the house was or what time of year it was, she maybe, you know, if she is a fabricator, what if Kavanaugh was out, you know, at the beach with his family? What if he could prove that he was away by saying it was at a party? And, you know, how is he supposed to be able to fight back against that? She can't tell him where it was or when it was. Well, that's quite an allegation. Um. All right, another one here. James writes, Buck, I'm shocked that you've never noticed that annoying Obama whistle. I almost feel bad for you because now that you've been made aware of it, you'll have to suffer with it uh, like the rest of us. Thank God he's no longer president, so hopefully we won't have to suffer much more of it. Shields high. Man, James, I got to go. You guys are going to really do this to me? You're really going to do this to me? You're going to make me go back and listen to some Obama speeches? That's what has to happen? I mean, team, I'll do it. I'll do it for you. But I'm going to have to go back and listen to a whole bunch of Obama that's uh, that's that. Jim writes, Daniel Patrick Moynihan was a senator from New York, not New Jersey. Shrillery held his former seat. Now it's uh, uh, Gillibrand. Pretty stinky seat. I have some deep dive info about Moynihan if you're interested. Oh, Jim, thanks for the correction. Thanks for the heads up. Good to hear from you. Uh, Ron writes, hold on a second. Where? Whoa. Hey, Buck, enjoying the new show as always. I had two quick notes. Like you, I found my public speaking class to be one of my most valuable courses, but it almost got me arrested. Wow, 1970, my senior year in high school, our assignment was to speak on a controversial topic. 
I took it to heart and proposed legalizing pot. Never used it, but part of my pr- premise was that it's a gateway. Pr- its gateway properties were at least due in part to where you had to buy it. Um, before I got to my next class, I was hustled off the school security office. They interpreted my familiarity with the subject matter to mean I was a user and at worst a dealer. Wow. Second topic, the attempt by Kamala Harris to smear Brett Kavanaugh by leaving out the they said part of his story regarding birth control is just like the lie that is still on President Bush regarding yellow cake uranium. If if not fake news, then at least fake reporting and part of why the media is deservedly mistrust shields high, Ron. All right, Ron. Thanks for writing in, my friend. Good to hear from you. Max writes, is this where... Uh, listeners submit roll call messages. Well, Max, your question made it onto roll call, and I just wrote back to you, yes, it is where people put roll call messages. Randall writes, Buck, I heard you uh, on radio tonight during my commute home, and always it makes my drive more tolerable, uh, tolerable here in Southern California. You asked about Netflix recommended series, so several that I like are Altered Carbon, Slasher, Mindhunter, and on Amazon, I like Eureka, Grimm, Hannibal, The First American, Lafayette, The Lost Hero, Bosch, John Adams, Burn Notice, Evil Dead, and Army of Darkness, and Ash vs. the Evil Dead series. On Showtime, Billions is very good, and Last Man Standing. Woo! Randall, you are a font of information when it comes to series on TV, my friend. Thank you for writing in. I'm going to have to take notes on some of this. Um, and uh, also, former Navy veteran and Black Rifle coffee drinker and Strike Force energy user. Randall, you are a superstar Team Buck member. Thank you so much. Shields high to you, as always, as well. Team, that's it for today. In the hut, I'm going to try to uh, drink some throat coat tea and uh, get myself back in action 100% for tomorrow. Please do uh, share word of this podcast. Spread it far and wide. I'm excited to be with you, as always. Shields high. Snippy.com, folks. Have you heard of it yet? You should, because if you're tired of all of these left-wing moderators and shadow banning and all the stuff that's going on right now to suppress conservative thought in social media. And you know it's happening, right? This is a real thing that's going on all the time. If you're sick of all that nonsense and you just want to be able to have a, a place where you can share your thoughts, connect with other conservatives or just anybody for that matter, and talk without fear of political bias or agenda, snippy.com is a new up-and-coming social media site where you can post, you can follow writers, you can just get going with the conversation. It's totally free, and there's no agenda, no left-wing moderators, no conversational health, none of that stuff. Go to snippy.com. I've got an account. You should, too. Snippy.com, totally free to join, or you can try the snippy.com app and get the conversation going.